singing some, uh, some Thanksgiving music as we prepare for this time of the year. Uh, so we finished up a sermon series a few weeks ago, and then Mark Scandrett was here this last week. Uh, so we're starting a new thing this morning. Uh, I'm starting a, a, a three-week kind of stewardship series that I'm calling Why Give More? Um, I'm putting that in print. I'm putting the word more in parentheses uh, for specific reasons because uh, uh, I am well aware that I am preaching to a very generous choir uh, this morning with all of you, and yet sometimes the choir needs to preach too as well. And so uh, I, I want to just preface uh, this entire series uh, with, the, uh, with the idea that uh, I am so very grateful for all that you give, uh, and yet we're not just talking about money uh, during this series. Uh, I want to talk about money, I want to talk about resources, our stuff, I want to talk about our talents and our skills, I want to talk about us giving more of everything, of all that we are, of all that we have, of all that we are capable of, uh, and, and we do that pretty well as a church, and yet there's always growing edges for God to uh, shake us change us, transform us, uh, and, and to say, uh, I want more out of you. I think you can do more. And so uh, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. Hopefully that, uh, I'm hopeful that some really practical next steps come out of this series. Uh, maybe we give more, we help more, we love more. Uh, maybe we even consider giving more to the church. Uh, I think that maybe some practical things might come out of this. But more than anything, I want to lay a, a kind of theological foundation uh, for why, for why we should give, for why we should give more. All right? So I'm going to talk on kind of a base uh, a foundational level, laying some groundwork here for us. Uh, and maybe something will happen out of that. So, uh, so I, I, want, I want us to give more of ourselves, our time, our skill, our energy, our stuff, and our money, but I want us to do it for the right reasons. And so I think it's important to kind of have three, maybe three thoughts over the next three weeks. Uh, I want to explore these three different ideas that can help us think through why we give and why we might be called to give more. Not just our money, everything, all of what we have. So I want us to do a little activity to start out. Uh, uh, I want to, uh, Matt, can you put that slide, that first slide up on the screen? Can we all read this? So this is Psalm 24.1. I think it's an incredibly important, incredibly significant uh, little sentence in all of Scripture, and I think it helps lay a, a pretty significant theological uh, framework for us when we're thinking about stewardship. But this is Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say that to them. All right, now switch and say it backwards. Say it to the other person. All right, now all together, let's say it together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All right, Mac, now take the slide down. All right, let's say it again. Can you remember it? I want this to be in our hearts. I want this to be in our minds. 
This is very, very easy to memorize, but I think it's significant that this is in us. All right, so you ready? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. One more time. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, The main message I want to communicate this morning, and one of the main messages of Scripture in its entirety, uh, and the main message that we are boldly declaring through memorizing and reciting this verse, is that none of this is ours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. None of this is ours. Uh, Everything you see, everything around you, everyone you encounter, everything you are, everything you do, all the money in your savings, every skill you possess, it's all from God. It is all from God. It is all a gift. None of our resources are actually ours. Our time, our money, our possessions, our energy, our skill sets, our achievements, our diplomas, they all belong to God. They all, they're all simply gifted to us by the generous grace of God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, of course, there's nuance to this idea, and you have to take everything I'm saying this morning with a, a grain of salt. But on a fundamental level, this is not our world. These are not our bodies. These are not our calendars and day planners. These are not our wallets and purses. These are not our hopes and desires and dreams. It all belongs to God. It's God's world, not ours. We are not autonomous creatures. We are God's creation, God's handiwork, and all that we do is meant to bear witness to what God has done and is doing in us. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, of course, there are some obstacles to actually living as if that's true. Uh, Almost everything in our world tries to convince us that that statement is not true. This is our world. These are my things. This is my stuff. I'm in control. And first and foremost, that is an issue of pride. Uh, This is mine. I earned it. I worked for it. And I will protect it tooth and nail if you try to come and take it from me. Right? That... This pride has permeated our entire culture, and especially as Americans. We are, we are individuals. We have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is mine. This is my property. This is my family's property. They passed this on for generations. Or I started with nothing, and I had to earn every cent of my down payment, and I bought this house with my hard-earned money. This is my stuff. Or I, I racked up student loan after student loan in order to get this degree. This is my education. This is my life. And I will take whatever job I can. Uh, Whatever it is, there's a pride issue there. We have earned it. Gosh darn it, this is mine. And I will protect it tooth and nail. Try to come and take it from me. I'll fight you for it. Uh, This kind of attitude uh, keeps us from living as if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, Essentially what it is is uh, our culture lives in what's called a zero-sum 
kind of transactional way of thinking. And it impedes this entire way of, of understanding that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, zero sum is a way of thinking that everything has to be equal. If somebody gets one thing, that means somebody else has to lose something. Everything, else, everything has to balance out on the balance sheet at, at the end of the day. There aren't unlimited resources. There's not enough to go around. Everyone can't have what they need. Some, if somebody has something, somebody else can't have enough. And that, that way of thinking permeates into our culture. Everything must equal out in the end. If someone gets something, then someone else won't. Uh, it's, it's the way our economy works, right? Every transaction that we make in the store has this kind of thing. It has to balance out in the end. You give me this good, and I will give you this amount of money. It's a zero-sum thing. And it works in the capitalistic framework. It, that's the way it has to work. Uh, but that kind of way of thinking has infiltrated our spirituality as well. Uh, I, I think about almost everything in terms of baseball. So, uh, so for me, the, the real season has started because my Mariners always stink. And so the real season is the off season where there's hopes and there's dreams and everyone can win the World Series next year. Right, Pat? Uh, Pat's team just won this year. So this is a hopeful time and there's free agent dealings and you're trying to sign people. But with every piece of news that I hear that a new free agent player has signed with another team, that means there's, more, there's less players that are on the market for my team, the Mariners, to sign, right? Baseball free agency works in a zero-sum kind of way of thinking. Every time we lose one player... It means to another team, there's fewer that might be able to come to my team and make my team better the following year. It, it's zero sum, and yet it, it has infiltrated our way of thinking about spirituality. Brueggemann, Walter Brueggemann calls this an ide- ideology of scarcity. Uh, that, that there's only so many resources, there's only so much money, there's only so many years in your prime, only so many hours in the day, uh, so you better get yours while the getting is good. The, the time is ticking, and you have to get yours or else somebody else will steal your piece of the, of the pie. You better make sure that you have your own affairs in order before you would ever dream of helping someone else because the resources are scarce. It's an ideology of scarcity. And this is the way he says it. The conviction of scarcity ends in despair. It gives us a present tense of anxiety, fear, greed, and brutality. It tells us not to care about anyone but ourselves. And it is the prevailing creed of American society. Yikes. Uh, And it may be the kingdom of the way that the kingdom of the world operates, but this is not the way that the kingdom of God operates. And if we want to understand and experience the kingdom of God, I think that we must understand a theology of abundance. Uh, it's, the world doesn't operate on scarcity. No matter what capitalism wants to tell us, there's an abundance that is found in God. 
And I think that we need to learn to rely on that. Uh, Author Christopher Smith says this, A theology of abundance is the conviction that the world has enough resources to sustain itself. In the Christian tradition, abundance is a theological conviction that God provides for creation to flourish in the manner for which it was created. God is the great provider of all good gifts and certainly isn't in the business of skimping on provision. Uh, We will certainly need to share our things in order for there to be enough. It, It doesn't mean that everyone gets to be Bill Gates. Uh, It doesn't mean that everyone gets to have way, way, way more than they need. It will require us sharing what we have, and yet there is enough. We certainly, uh, yeah, fundamentally and spiritually, there is enough. I I love the way that Wendell Berry ends his poem, The Wild Geese, with the line, what we need is here. I think that's a beautiful statement uh, about a theology of abundance. What we need is here. Will we choose to share it? Again, Brueggemann says this. He says, The peculiar thing, at least from a biblical perspective, is that the rich, the ones with the abundance, rely on an ideology of scarcity, while the poor, the ones suffering from scarcity, rely on an ideology of abundance. How can that be? The issue involves whether there is enough to go around, enough food, water, shelter, space. An ideology of scarcity says, no, there's not enough, so hold on to what you have. In fact, don't just hold on to it, hoard it. Put aside more than you need, so that if you do need it, it will be there, even if others must do without. An affirmation of abundance says just the opposite. Appearances notwithstanding, there is enough to go around, so long as each of us takes only what we need. In fact, if we are willing to have but not hoard, there will even be more than enough left over. The Bible is about abundance. And we see this throughout Scripture. People wrestling between an ideology of scarcity and a theology of abundance. We see tons and tons of examples of our biblical heroes wrestling with this scarcity versus abundance. I think about our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the patriarchs of our faith. And this theme rings loudly throughout each of their stories, right? Think about a a few things in in their their stories, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham courageously leaves Ur, uh, leaving his family and his land and his livelihood behind, not worried about the scarcity of provisions ahead, trusting that the God of abundance will take care of his needs. He's faithful, He has a theology of abundance to begin with, and he leaves Ur ready to tackle whatever the Lord has for him, trusting that God, the God of abundance, will provide abundantly, and yet he really quickly starts trying to take care of himself and his family first. Uh, and, and he starts lying to protect his own life. He jumps the gun by making a baby with Hagar and not waiting for God to provide through his wife Sarah. Uh, but, but he also faithfully trusts God in his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. He's this incredibly mixed bag of trusting and not, of scarcity and, and abundance. 
uh, fear and trust, sometimes succumbing to the ideology of scarcity and sometimes soaring in a theology of abundance. And then uh, his grandson Jacob uh, is, is, a, a, is awful as, as well at times. He's constantly tricking his family and especially Esau into getting all sorts of special privileges. He doesn't trust God to take care of his needs. Uh, he tries to do that all himself And it trickles down into his son, Joseph, uh, who at times is completely living under the lie of scarcity. Uh, He's got his coats and his dreams and his father's love, and he certainly isn't afraid to tell everyone about it and brag about his abundance instead of just trusting God uh, to to lead and guide him. And yet then his story turns in the end where he becomes this great story of faithfulness, where he's trusting God to lead and guide him. He utilizes his own skills for the sake of others, and he he is actually used by God in the end to save his own people from drought and famine, from scarcity. He actually becomes a conduit of abundance in the end as he learns to trust God in the God of abundance who abundantly provides. And there's tons more examples. I think about Moses and the Israelites. They leave Egypt, this place of massive scarcity where they don't have enough, where they're constantly being hurt and broken. Uh, There's never enough and they're treated horribly. And then they move out into the desert and they immediately start grumbling. They're desperate to go back to the land of scarcity where at least there was bread, right? They say this phrase over and over, at least we had bread back there. Uh, And yet what does God do? He provides bread from heaven. The God of abundance in the midst of moments of scarcity where his people are, are seeping into this world, this ideology of scarcity, he abundantly provides the very thing that they think they can get back in the land of scarcity. Uh, It's this incredible story. It's unbelievable. It's God showing his people once more that this is a God of abundance, that there is no limit to his provision and his blessing. And we see this throughout uh, the rest of Scripture. We see it in, in Job, right? He has lots of things. He has a very abundant life. And then suddenly life becomes pretty scarce And he has to learn to trust the God of abundance, that he will take care of him even in the midst of his scarcity. We've been reading about uh, the character Daniel on on Tuesday mornings, uh, and Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar have to wrestle through this uh, as well, scarcity versus abundance. And certainly Jesus was was always teaching, always preaching, uh, that always always providing bread, uh, always, always feeding 5,000 or 4,000 uh, in the midst of people thinking that there was scarce, in the midst of the disciples thinking that the resources were scarce. Jesus kept revealing that, oh, no, no, no. That's not the way that this world works. That's not the way that my kingdom works. This is a kingdom of abundance. The, the point is, uh, the biblical of ide- idea of who God is is that God is a God of abundance. And our calling, our mandate, is to live out of a theology of abundance. That what we need is here. But this is so challenging. When everything in our culture teaches us something different, and it is so tempting 
to live with an ideology of scarcity. When it comes to our resources, our time, our energy, our skills, our stuff, our money, the temptation, at least for me, is to hoard, to heap, to hide, and to hunker down. We hoard our things. Uh, We want to take as much as we can. We even have shows called Hoarders, right? We have... We want, we want to get as much as we can. We fill up storage units full of stuff that we don't even need and that we don't even use because what if? I'm saving for a rainy day. We hoard our things. We want to heap on to our pile of possessions. We just want to keep getting more and more and we, we grasp onto it. We hide from actually providing care and assistance. We hide ourselves in those moments where we might be called to give, to open up our hands and to, and to share the things that God has given us. Instead, in those moments, I can often hide. Uh, and then finally, we hunker down and we protect our things and our life and our time and our family and all the resources that we think are ours. Once we start getting things, we have to protect it. So we hunker down and we live in gated communities and we put up security systems uh, and we put mass, we, we have guard dogs or however we want to talk about it. Once we have things, we need to hunker down and protect them. But our calling isn't to hoard, heap, hide, and hunker. It's to help. It's to share. If someone on the street needs a little help, uh, But we choose to avert our eyes. We pretend we didn't see them and we carry on with our day. May we start to understand that it's not mine anyway. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Someone's moving and could really use our truck. But we convince ourselves we're too busy and we we tell ourselves that they'll find someone else. May we understand that it's not mine anyway. Someone could really use our spare bedroom for a few weeks while they get back on their feet, but it feels like such an inconvenience, so we don't offer up the space. May we understand that it's not mine anyway. It would be nothing to buy a few extra items at the grocery store to donate to the food bank, but we tell ourselves next time, May we understand that it's not mine anyway. We could make a few sacrifices in our budget to be able to throw a little more money in the offering plate each month to get a little closer to tithing from money that really isn't ours anyway. But I'm sure they'll be fine without my money. May we understand that it's not mine anyway. As a a worship pastor, uh, Andre Anthony says, where the disciples use a theology of scarcity, Jesus uses a theology of abundance. The disciples see only what they don't have and what they're incapable of doing. Jesus sees the resources they possess and their possibilities. Christ calls us to bring forth what we have, no matter how little, and assures us that God will do the rest. The way of scarcity is a tight-fisted, closed-handed way of engaging the world, and it's absolutely contrary to the way of God's kingdom. So uh, I, 
I think, contrarily, we are invited to approach life with an open-handed posture. Uh, the world tells us to close our fists and to hoard our things and to, and to wrap in tight and to hunker down and to not let go of the things that we have. And yet the way of God is a way that is open-handed, that is ready to share. And so I'm inviting us this morning to loosen the grip on our life and on our resources. I think about stories, I think about the rich young ruler, right? This man that had been incredibly faithful and he comes to Jesus and he asks him, what, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have the, the life of the ages, a, a full, abundant kind of way of life? And Jesus kind of goes through the litany of things. Have you, have you essentially done the Ten Commandments? And he says, yes, I've, I've done all of that. Uh, and then he says, well, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and come follow me. And what happens? The man walks away sad. He, that's a closed, closed-fisted way of living. He's done most things right, and yet he's tight. He's a tight wad in some ways, but he is tight. He is closed-fisted about the way he's approaching the world. And Jesus invites him to just loosen the grip a little bit and to let go and to let go of these things that you are holding so closely and he can't and he walks away sad. The early church, on the other hand, was completely open-handed. They shared everything that they had. They pooled, they pooled all their resources together and they shared things w- w- with their community. They took care of one another's needs. It's an open-handed way of living and they thrived and they lived abundantly. So as we close this morning, I'm going to invite us into a few moments of reflection. Uh, I'm going to invite us to, uh, to pray a couple different prayers, and I'm going to invite us to do it with an open-handed posture, all right? So I'm, I'm going to, uh, we're going to pray just for uh, probably a, uh, maybe three or four minutes, actually, and because uh, we have the time, and I want to make the space this morning. So I'm going to invite you to get comfortable, and uh, eventually I'm going to invite you to close your eyes once, you, uh, once you've got the prayers memorized. And I'm going to literally invite you to open your hands and to put them out and maybe to breathe deeply uh, and to, to think about the resources that you have, your time, your energy, your money, your skill set, uh, your passions, uh, and to think about them with an open-handed posture. And I'm going to have Mac put on a... a uh, we've, we've essentially, I've essentially been praying two prayers for us this morning, and so I want to invite us all to be praying that together uh, in kind of a mantra kind of way. Uh, so Mac, why don't you put up that first slide, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And for a, a few minutes even, I'm going to invite you into an open-handed posture and to simply pray this this kind of prayer, this psalm, this, this song, this prayer uh, to yourself uh, just over and over as a reminder of God's abundance in our life, that it is all his and we are simply recipients of his gracious gift. And then I'll invite you into the next prayer in just a few minutes. But let's sit with open hands and let's pray, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let's pray.
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, And now a few moments reflecting on another phrase I've been using. Uh, I think there's a lot of power in this phrase. And so I'm going to invite you to sit in an open-handed posture and just to pray, it's not mine anyway. It's not mine anyway. Uh, And let this uh, seep deep within your soul. Let's, Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that this is your world. And I I am tempted to think that it's mine. Uh, We're probably all tempted to think that it's ours. And yet the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not mine anyway. I pray that these kind of phrases would resonate with us all week long. That as we think about our stuff, as we think about our skill sets, as we think about our money, as we think about the resources that we have to offer a world that could desperately use a little more abundance, I pray that these kind of phrases would continue to to pop up in our minds. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's not mine anyway. And that we would be transformed as people of radical generosity. Amen. Okay, uh, that, that graphic I had put up there, uh, I have little copies of that for you to take home if you'd like. Uh, I'm going to set one of these on my bedside table uh, for a little while so that uh, every morning I wake up remembering that uh, this is not my world, that these are not my things, and to kind of prioritize uh, the, the way that I live my life from then on the rest of the day. So uh, uh, let's make sure that you grab one of these before uh, you go. Make sure that you get one of those. Uh, a couple of announcements I want to mention uh, before we go. Uh, on the back table, uh, those, uh, those two quotes from Walter Brueggemann, who I think is, is a brilliant biblical scholar he, and, and uh, uh, a brilliant kind of critic of culture uh, in, in a good way, helping us to live well in culture. Those come from a, a little essay that he wrote called Enough is Enough, and it is fantastic. The whole thing is fantastic, and those are just a couple uh, quotes that I cribbed from there. But if you're interested in reading more, it's like, it's like four pages, uh, two pages front and back, 
uh, on eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So it's not a terribly long essay, but it's really great. I think I made like 10 copies and they're on the back table. I could easily make more if, if you're interested. So uh, if, if you want to explore that more, it's a great little essay and it's worth your time. So pick that up on the way out uh, this morning. Uh, we are having a potluck uh, right after church, so please come down and join us. Uh, we'll eat together, and I, I've heard that there's ice cream Sundays. I don't know. Is that true? Is, or is that just a rumor? Okay, so uh, we'll feast, and we'll celebrate, and we'll eat ice cream together, and then we'll have as short of a business meeting as we can, but there are a few uh, specific things that we need to get through. Uh, so we'll do our, our kind of businessy meeting after we've eaten together. Uh, so please join us. Even if you didn't bring anything, please join us. There's going to be lots and lots of food. I'm not worried about it. Uh, now that we're kind of done with the Scandret weekend, uh, we can start announcing some other things. So I had it up last week, but I don't think I announced it. But we've started our Mitten Tree project. Edie has always been our faithful uh, leader in, in a spons- kind of sponsoring our Mitten Tree project. Each year we, co- we collect a certain number of mittens and gloves uh, for HRDC to provide to the Head Start programs in our community. And so this year we're trying to collect 100 pairs. Uh, so you can, you can buy those and bring them, or you can make them if you're a, if you're a knitter. Uh, I'll be buying myself. Uh, and, and just bring them and, and put them under the tree in the back of the sanctuary. I think they have to be in by mid-December. So we'll stop collecting on December 10th. Uh, this is for like three to five year olds, so keep that in mind. And it's harsh Montana winters, so warm is is better than uh, skinny little finger gloves. So uh, so think warm for a little four year old. All right. Um, I think that's all I had to mention. Anyone? Any announcements I'm missing? Or all right. Well, why don't you stand and let's sing together an appropriate song to end on. This is our Father's world.